Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Baseball time, turn on the fan. JD's coming on, he's a baseball man. I gotta get the scoop before I drive home from the kid from Queens calling Arlington home. Car pulls up, who can it be? A fresh El Camino, it's Thad Levine. He rolls down his window and he started to say, It's all about making that kick ass tray. Cause the boys in the front office are always hard. Come talking that trash and they'll pull your car. Knowing nothing in life but to be legit. Don't quote me, skin, I ain't said spit. John Daniel Show brought to you by Evan Williams Bourbon and BMW, the ultimate driving machine. All right, joining us now on the Ben and Skin Show, John J.D. Daniels. How are you doing today, J.D.? I'm good, fellas. How are you? Hey, we're doing really, really well. We are uh, excited uh, about the future of the Rangers, but uh, obviously this weekend will mark the end of an era as uh, the ballpark in Arlington, as it is so affectionately known, or Globe Life Park, will, will come to an end, and you guys will move into a new park with air conditioning, but... As you reflect back, uh, you know, on, on all the great memories from this ballpark, uh, do, you, do you think you'll get emotional at all looking back on it as as you guys bring this era to a close? I think so, man, a little bit. You know, I, personally, I've, I've grown up here. You know, professionally, I've grown up here. And, uh, you know, a lot of relationships, a lot of, like, amazing times, a lot of tough times, too. Um, but, you know, really outside of a – a few years after school I and mean, my whole adult life's been spent here and a ton of uh, friendships and relationships been built and, you know, crazy things have happened. And, and um, so, you know, the, this place will always symbolize that for me. You know, as you, uh, as you headed into or head into this weekend, rather, what are some of the things that you would like to see, you know, happen with the crowd or happen with the fans or what kind of an experience would you like for them to take out of the final weekend? Obviously you guys have games with Boston, but the final weekend yeah. with the Yankees. Well, man, I, you know, I know uh, John Blake and Chuck Morgan and, and everybody else in the organization. I mean, there's a lot of really cool things planned to kind of highlight uh, some of the, the, the stuff from the past, but also the present. I mean, I think it's kind of, I'm kind of glad it lines up where Lance Lynn gets to pitch the final game because, you know, just symbolism of, of that, the year he's having, but also our, our home fans get to recognize what he's done. And I think, you know, looking at a sellout with uh, a lot of alumni in, in the crowd and, you know, it could be a, a pretty cool emotional day. And so to have him after this dominating season, hopefully get a, you know, walk off the mound to an ovation uh, short term, but I'm looking forward to seeing all the uh, alumni coming back, you know, recognizing that the, uh, uh, all-time team of the ballpark here. Uh, I know, you know, Chuck and John have some 
some surprises up their sleeves that they haven't even told all of us about. But I just think a lot of cool stuff, man. And then they're going to, you know, kind of a little bit of an ode to the, the, um, the, the prior park, you know, that, that, uh, before we moved in here in, in 94, uh, and, and that transition. So I think uh, for folks that have grown up here, you know, a little bit younger and have, you know, experienced the playoff years in the nineties and in the two thousands, I think there'll be a ton of connections there for them. All the great times they had in this park for, for folks that are a little older that have you know, been in this area longer that know the history of the franchise and, and remember when we moved in here, I think there'll be, you know, a little bit of something for them too. And, and just a lot of emotional ties for everybody. It'll be pretty cool. There's been a lot of great memories there, obviously. And, and, uh, you know, when I think of that ballpark, I think of the jet stream and I, and I think of how the ball can carry from, from time to time out of that park. It truly has felt like a hitter's park over the years. Do you think any of that will translate over to the new park or is it just, it's too hard to tell until you get in there and start playing games? I think more the latter, Ben. I mean, listen, the, the, actual field dimensions are going to be somewhat similar, meaning that, um, you know, left field, the, the gap in left field will be a little deeper than, than, than right field will. Um, the, the amount of foul territory is similar, although the distribution is a little bit different. So there's not a ton of foul territory, which we did on purpose because we want the fans, you know, right on top of the action as much as it can be. Um, but there's so many things uh, different from an environmental standpoint that we, we aren't sure yet how it's going to, from a jet stream standpoint, you know, one, the it's set down 50 feet lower below uh, the surface level as far as where the actual, the, the, the uh, field level is. So, you know, the wind may not get in there the same. You've got the roof obviously, which, which will play a huge deal. And, and even when it's open, there's a part of the, the roof over the, the right field, you know, covering the fans there in right field and, and, um, you know, right up, up to the end of the bullpens and, and the, the warning track that stays static. So, you know, I don't know how that'll factor in. And then you've got the, the, everything is closer to the action, meaning that, you know, it's a little bit more, it's less, you know, and you're in the upper deck, you're closer than, I think you're closer to the action than, you know, the people in the, in the second deck are now here. So it's just a little more vertical. And, and because of all those things, we don't know how the, you know, even when the roof's open, we're not totally sure how the wind's going to play. I, I think it'll be more of a neutral park. It's going to be hard to be more of a hitter's park than we've been in. But uh, until we get in there and play a season or two, we won't know 100%. So the other thing that we talked about a lot at the beginning of the year because Arizona was rolling out that kind of turf, but I haven't really heard it talked about, throughout the course of what is now a full regular season, are you guys feel pretty good about the way the turf that rolled out in Arizona will play here? Yeah, Um Yes, the answer to that is yes. The uh, the feedback has been you know largely very positive. I think it you know the the first week or two guys were kind of figuring it out, getting used to. I think it's played better as the season went on, as it kind of got you know got settled down. Um, there's a few things technologically that we'll do differently than Arizona did, but it'll largely be the a similar surface. Um, and you know, listen, my guess is that, you know, Arizona's done, gone well. I, I believe ours is going to go well. I think the players will be, be good with it. Um, and, you know, it would not surprise me as, as these things go. You know, we have positive outcome. You look up and other teams, you know, start looking into it. I know there's already been some chatter with other teams with, with uh, retractable roofs that have mentioned to us that they're interested in finding out more. And if it plays as well as we think it's going to play, I'm, I'm guessing you'll, you know, it won't just be the two of us with it. Or you'll see, You'll see it in other spots as well down the line. You know, as you guys uh, you went to back-to-back World Series trips, and I know you don't like us to focus on those types of things too often. You guys have moved on, and, and but obviously such an important part of the history of that ballpark. 
we can't help but look at things through a cowboy lens as it's kind of an exciting time for the Cowboys as, as they appear to be entering that window of being a contender now. Uh, and it looks like it's going to be good for a long time, hopefully, uh, for the Cowboys. Yeah. That said, when do you remember the moment when you guys truly started turning that corner? And Because things can obviously go either way, but you start turning that corner, you're like, damn, we're going to be really good here for a few years. I think this sets up nicely. Do you remember that moment? So uh, I remember like kind of the, the kind of the seedling moment for me was instructionally in 07. Um, when you just kind of looked around, you just saw the sheer number of the amount of talent. You're like, all right, this, this has, this is going to lead somewhere really positive. Um, but the, the, uh, the moment for us where, you know, it was the first half of 10 and in 2009, we were good. You know, I mean, we'd already added Josh to the core and now Nelly was up and Nelly was producing and, you know, we had brought Elvis up and Michael had moved to third and our defense solidified and, you know, we'd started to develop some guys in Valley Feliz and Scott Feldman. Had, you kind of saw the, you saw it coming. And then the first half of 10, you know, when Derek stepped up and, um, and Feliz was locked down, Elvis kept right on going and Josh was going off. And, um, and so it was when we, you know, we were, we felt we were close and that's why we, you know, we did the, the Cliff Lee move and that was where we felt like we'd arrived. You know, we felt like, all right, we, we can now, we're not just, you know, pain, we're not just that little engine that could paint in somebody else's butt. We were, you know, we'd arrived and like internally, externally, I think locally, nationally, the, the perception of the organization changed at that moment. Talking to John Daniels here on the Ben and Skin Show, 105.3 The Fan. Do you have a particular favorite moment in this ballpark that is family related? In other words, there are times where you get to bring your kids to the game or something happens with family. Maybe your folks come. Is there anything that really stands out to you that's something that happened in this ballpark? Um, yeah, and even away from some of the, just the awesome games I've sat with them, it, it's a family tradition that everybody comes to the opening day. So my parents fly in, and Robin's mom comes in, and we've done it forever, and and uh, so I love that. Um, but you know, the, we have a family day. Tony Taylor arranges her in the travel party. It's really for the players and their families, but we kind of get to tag along. And and as my kids have gotten older, they get to they get to go out there and, and kind of have a good time. And they do, you know, whatever face paint for the kids and whatever. But for a number of years, the uh, you know a few of the players would go out and they would set up like um, a, kind of a you know, almost like a street ball type game out in left field um, against a, a screen, and the, and the kids would take aim at the, at the you know the outfield wall and try to hit, and so and the players would take turns pitching. And so I have this, these awesome videos of um, my son Lincoln, who at the time was probably I don't know eight, nine, ten, he's twelve now, and and awesome videos and pictures of of him taking BP off of Beltre and, and Cole Hamels and Prince Fielder and, you know, with, with Chu and, and Chirinos and their boys. And uh, that's something that, you know, that's really special for me. That does sound better than the time that Lincoln gave that blunt assessment to Matt Garza. <laughs> that the... was in Anaheim. <laughs> okay, that was okay. absolutely beautiful. <laughs> that was beautiful. I'm glad Matt handled it the way he did. He didn't <laughs> pin me up against the wall. That's one of the great stories. Would you mind resetting that real quick? In case somebody hadn't heard that. Yeah, so we're um, it was uh, 2013. We traded for Matt. Um, we were in Anaheim. I took my son on the trip with me. We were sitting uh, sitting there with uh, I think Don Welke was with us, and we're sitting in the stands. And Matt had pitched. We lost. I don't forget the score. Maybe lost you know four one or four two. But they had two or three home runs, maybe solo shots off Matt. And I'm sure I made some comments about about that. And so next day, I'm not thinking about that. We're come in pregame, and we're down in the trainer's room. 
and Matt comes by and Don and, and Lincoln, my son and I were talking and uh, Matt comes over. Matt was great. And he came over and, and said, Hey Matt, it's my son, Lincoln and Lincoln is Matt Garza. And without missing a beat, Lincoln just looks up at him, kind of points at me and goes, he said, you give up too many home runs. <laughs> and, uh, and Matt's just kind of like, you know, I'm looking at him like, Oh, gee, yeah, here we go. And, <laughs> and Matt, and Matt's like, you know what? He's right. He's right. And I and, like took it off. So it could have gone either way, and then Matt was uh, Matt was awesome about it. That is fantastic. That it's like is... the scene in Airplane in the cockpit. <laughs> My old man says you don't try hard on defense. <laughs> Talking to Jabbar. Yeah. <laughs> Tell your old man to get out there and try to hit 30 home runs a year. You know, Tell him to try to strike these guys out. These guys are giant. Uh, <laughs> exactly. It's probably so... like Mike Trout. You yeah. Know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, we're talking to John Daniels on the Ben and Skin Show, uh, 105.3 The Fan. As you reflect back on this season that's that's coming to a close, what is the single biggest bright spot for you that you can use as a building block as you guys move into next season? Um, well, you know, you said single biggest. I was going to hit on a couple of the, the yeah. player development stories. But, I, I, I mean, if you're going single biggest, I just think it's the – the overall like attitude culture, you know, from where we were a year ago, it's so much more, um, the players are so much more engaged, positive. Um, and that's not to say that there haven't been, you know, some serious bumps in the road as we've put some new things in play, but I, I give all of our coaches a ton of credit for that. I give our players a ton of credit for that, for being open-minded uh, at times. I'm sure that, you know, there were some questions, but I think they've seen that, you know, the guys that are utilizing the information the most that have bought in the most have had, you know, the most uh, success and, and, and guys are bought in. And so, you know, ultimately, you know, we got to do more on our side. We, we, we need, to, need to produce more players internally. We need to add some other guys outside. You always got to raise the talent level, but when you have that belief system and kind of culture in place and a really, really good coaching staff, I, I feel really good about this group. Woody, obviously, at the forefront of that group and what he's allowed to, to take place there. Uh, that, for me, is, is the, you know, the single biggest thing. And then all the individual um, kind of upticks are, are, are and some of the ones that even haven't happened yet, uh, I think, are, are you know, credit to that environment that they've set up. Well, we're certainly happy for the organization. It uh, it brings to an era to an end this weekend with the ballpark in Arlington, Globe Life Park. You guys are moving into just a gorgeous new air-conditioned facility, which we are all fired up about. But uh, we'd love for you to remember how you're feeling uh, over the course of this weekend so we can ask you about it one more time next Tuesday on your final appearance with us this season. We really appreciate the visit, and we'll talk to you next week. All right, guys. Thanks so much. All right, there he goes, John Daniels. <laughs> Uh, yeah, final final interview coming next Tuesday, and uh, it's going to be an emotional weekend out there at at uh, Globe Life Park. Get out there; there are amazingly priced tickets. Uh, use the SeatGeek app. Uh, yeah, the SeatGeek yes. app. Use the promo code Ben for ten dollars off your first purchase. But good call. Go find out what the best seats are in the house. RJ was saying this morning you can get insanely cheap tickets, like right behind home plate. I think there's some pretty good deals to be had if you want to go catch the Rangers' final homestand of 2019. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
All right, Ben, we're starting to close in on basketball season. I just saw Bobby Marks tweet the obvious. Mavericks have exercised the third-year option on Luka Doncic, fourth-year option on Justin Jackson. There's a greater than zero chance Justin Jackson starts. But the nugget that I like here, Doncic will earn $8 million during the 2021 season. So not this season, but the season after that. When Doncic will generally uh, be, com- com- yeah, he'll be considered one of the top ten players in the league, making eight million dollars. That'll be awesome. Didn't you say that uh, here they're gonna, despite the uh, nucleus that they have, mm-hmm. with two legit superstars, in my opinion, mm-hmm. they're gonna have max money also. The the summer that it's really gonna hit is not this summer, but the summer after. They'll have room, and depending on what happens with Tim Hardaway Jr., could have a lot of room. Uh, but the summer that they're gonna be saving up for. Will be not this summer, but the summer after, and so that's kind of why I wanted to put that out there. Doncic will be making eight million dollars. In fact, the stat I saw recently is Doncic plus Porzingis will still be making like twelve to thirteen million less than Harden by himself. Wow! But uh, don't worry about Luca. He's he'll have a new shoe deal here soon, and I would think that because of his passion for shoes, because of his social media presence, because of how beloved he is, because of how marketable he is that he will end up having one of the five biggest shoe deals in all the world. And it'll probably be Nike because I believe they have the right of first refusal on it. So even if someone comes in and blows his doors off, I think Nike can match. But Woo. We shall see on all that. Dallas Cowboys football is what we're focused on these days, however. Jerry Jones was on the Sean and RJ show earlier today. Lots of good things to get into, but Sean had put out a poll on his Twitter account based on conversation that you started with You know, Jason Garrett. Should he... Get an extension now. Has Garrett done enough? He's 3-0. and And Sean's poll was, you know, do you want to see what Garrett does in the playoffs or has he done enough to get an extension? They actually asked uh, Jerry Jones about this, the possibility of Jason Garrett getting an extension. Well, again, I don't, would not even, uh, I, I'm not ignoring your question, but I certainly wouldn't want to respond in any way because uh, uh, that's just not uh, what we'd want to do relative to, that area of our business short sweet to the point but there's no reason for them to entertain any of this because right now they have the magic of someone they do believe in they've given him more rope than any most coaches get but that carrot is dangling out there and garrett knows this has to be a wildly successful season right and again as i've said you would have to have somebody else in mind for you to set such lofty carrots out there as to say all right he has to get to the super bowl or the nfc championship or he's fired i mean you don't just do that if you don't have someone in mind especially when things are working right now um you know i think the biggest thing holding this team back was was linehan now linehan's gone kellen moore is exquisite okay so garrett is a good game day coach he's got guys i'm sorry Garrett is not great at game management. Okay, game good. Decisions. Got knocked off the air there yeah. for a second. What I'm saying is Garrett is good at, as cliches, this is the process. Getting guys to buy in. Nobody's ever quit on a Garrett team. Somehow they still listen to him. He's he's a good coach, and is, he has a good record. I think we probably leave something to be desired in game management. But I really like the way this thing is clicking right now. So regardless of if they make the NFC championship game or Super Bowl and they have a good regular season and you're feeling good about the direction, he might be coming back unless 
you've got another candidate. Is it Lincoln Riley? Is it Bob Stewart? I mean, because if you don't have a guy, well, why would you just fire him for whatever's out there and just start that search over? And I mean, the Joneses have always shown a reluctance to make a huge decision that could potentially set you back, especially when you're so close. Okay, well, then let me fast forward the clock. Let me give you the exact scenario so you know what's going on. Cowboys don't make the NFC Championship game because they lose in the divisional round because Garrett did some horrible game mismanagement stuff. See ya. All right? So, but your offense has been performing at one of the highest levels all year long. Yeah, he's gone. So you love the Kellen Moore offense. Mm -hmm. But because of the way the NFL has shaken out, whoever you don't pick between Richard and Moore will probably get a head coaching job somewhere else. So you're in the you have the proposition of you're not only going to lose Garrett, you're going to lose one of those two guys cuz they'll probably get a coaching job. To me, Kellen Moore is the most valuable as crazy as this is, the youngest coordinator in the league, the most valuable coach in the organization because he has fixed this offense, he's unlocked it. Your massive quarterback investment, which is soon to be, is solidified and made safer because you have Kellen Moore, at least early on. I Mm -hmm. think he'll be, as KT pointed out, these guys live to make adjustments to adjustments to adjustments. I think he's the type of guy that can do that. So he's the most valuable one. If you lose Rashard, all right, man, Sean Lee, you're a new defensive coordinator. Okay, that's a good, because I was about to say, there's a chance if you go with Kellen Moore, which I think, I don't know what I'd do in that situation. I got to see how the year plays out, but there's a chance you could be losing Garrett, Rashard, and Marinelli. Like I think if if Richard bounced, I could see Marinelli going. Man, I've 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 done everything I can do. It's time for me to go do something else. Now I'm I'm totally speculating. Please, I'm not saying that Rod Marinelli's ready to quit or anything, but he's just sort of at that point in his career. That could make him mad, man. So what about this? What about Kellen Moore having to take over the staff with all three of those voices leaving? Because he's a young guy, doesn't have a whole lot of coaching experience yet. It's a really interesting dynamic. What if he but, brings back Linehan then to be his OC? <laughs> All I want is for them to money whip Kellen Moore so he never leaves. Just money whip him to keep being the offensive coordinator for a while and so he never leaves. I, no Will McClay treatment. Yeah, exactly. We need to give Scott Linehan a lot of credit. Kellen Moore ain't here if it wasn't for Linehan. It's the only thing he deserves credit for. <laughs> All right, let's talk about uh, a guy that Kellen Moore wanted on draft day. And that's Tony Pollard. He had a huge day. Jerry weighed in on it. It's clip number six, Shippy. You see that in uh, training camp. Uh, you see him step up there. You see his uh, uh, naturalness, relative, uh, letting the play, the blocker, uh, do the work for him. And then all of a sudden you see outstanding explosion, power, ability to cut, cut quick feet. Uh, then you know that's going to help you. And you can see that. We saw that pretty early, if you recall. And uh, uh, that's uh, pretty typical of the way he, w- w- when, when he ran the ball in uh, Memphis. Okay, ended kind of abruptly. But that is something that we heard when we were there, Ben, is there was a lot of talk of, hey, don't take this the wrong way. We know what Zeke is, but we haven't had a running back in camp look like this in a really long time style of runner. I saw Dave Hellman on Twitter talking about this. People need to stop with the thunder and lightning. And the boom and zoom. I'm like, well, I like boom and zoom. Is there another nickname tandem that works for these two running backs? Because they are they are different. Yeah. And as fast as Zeke is, he is a take-it-to-the-house running back. Mm-hmm. Pollard looks significantly faster. I like Crockett and Tubbs. Yeah? Like that? 
I'm not peanut sure. butter and jelly. Ooh, Ooh hey, which one's the jelly? <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> All right, oh. that was really good. The way to be determined. Be yeah. yeah, I think Pollard would probably be the jelly. Um, yeah, what Turner and Hooch? Yeah, I don't. I don't <laughs> think that's. That, that, I don't think that's it. Starsky and Hutch. No. Nope. Yep. <laughs> yep. Salt and pepper. Nope. No. These are you're just listing combo platters. Oh, what about Johnson and Johnson? <laughs> Head and shoulders. Oh, yep. I like that. Yeah. That's great. I think we need to keep looking. Doom we'll and take, gloom. We'll take this to the <laughs> take this to we'll take this to the lab. A lot of great possibilities. Send yours in at eight seven seven eight eight one one zero five three. The Autoflex Leasing Fan Text. What should this do? Can, can I read this to you, Skin, real quick? No. Quick old stat here. All right. So we talk about eleven personnel a lot, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so one running back, one tight end, three wide receivers. Cowboys are in that all the time, like seventy percent of the time. Which one? Uh, eleven personnel. Okay. Uh, one running back, one tight end, three wide receivers. That's the that's all, and, pretty standard. And they will be that standard, you know, around the league as well. This is yards per play through three weeks. Mm-hmm. Okay, yards per play, um, 7.84 for the Cowboys. That is third in the league. Number one is the Chiefs, two is the Vikings. Uh, the Saints are fourth in the league at seven point, almost 7.5. League average is going to be right around kind of in that six yard, a little under six yards per play. And they're almost, you know, they're pushing eight yards per play. You start looking at some really bad teams like the Jets right now. The Jets are like three yards a play out of 11 oh, personnel. The Packers are 3.5 3. 5 yards per play out of 11 personnel. Uh, the Dolphins are four yards a play out of 11 personnel, and that's at the, the bottom butt of the league. Cowboys are at the top of the league in pretty much everything. It's just three weeks, I know, but they are third in total offense, third in rushing yards, fourth in passing yards, first in sacks per attempt, second in first downs per game, first in third downs, fourth in red zone TD percentage, fourth in total points, and fourth in giveaways. I mean, they're just crushing it offensively. We're gonna and we're we're look. We're gonna learn a lot Sunday night, but we're gonna know next two a weeks, ton in two weeks. The right? next two weeks are gonna be huge because Green Bay's defense has been spectacular. Okay, people are texting in some really funny stuff, but there's one that I think someone was being a smartass, but I think it has merit, and that's Tango and Cash. Tango because Pollard's dancing and Cash because he Zeke got paid. It's really hmm. not that bad. Oh, that's interesting. Tango and Cash. Oh, shake and Bake. <laughs> shake and Bake. Shake Ooh. and Bake's pretty good. I like that one. Uh, I like Hammer and Nail. Magic Man and El Diablo. <laughs> <laughs> All the notes. <laughs> it should be Shake and Baked, shouldn't it? Yeah. Oh, man, that's so good. I like all that. Yeah, some really good ones. <laughs> oh, that's really good. Yeah, keep them coming. Oh, Itchy and Scratchy. <laughs> Beavis and Butthead. 877-881-1053. It's the Autoflex Leasing Fantex. Uh, let's squeeze in one more because it's fun before we bring the G-Bag Nation on. And that was uh, Jerry's reaction to the Robert Quinn debut. And he's going to go right in talking about Robert uh, Quinn's incredible dance that the TV broadcast called the Happy Gilmore. Well, that's one of the best I've seen riding that pony. Now, you know what's fun? Sometimes Zeke will do something like that. He'll put a towel on or he'll put a, some shorts on or something and head down through the middle of the dressing room kind of spanking himself as he emulates a, the, the riding the horse. But uh, uh, And that's before a game. So you can see how uh, what a uh, asset he is uh, on and off the field to the Dallas Cowboys. I'm talking Zeke Prescott, but uh, I mean Zeke uh, Elliott. But but uh, bottom line is uh, uh, the uh, Robert Quinn brings that to the table as well. 
He's uh, he's a veteran. On the other hand, he plays with the exuberance of a rookie, and his game is uh, just uh, sheer uh, energy. And um, if he's got an issue at all, it's uh, uh, kind of thwarting his tendency to run by the quarterback a little bit. But boy, he's back there and he's messing with them, and uh, he's he's just an outstanding contributor. All right, so. So Jerry's talking about being game day, and Zeke's obviously naked because he'll throw it because <laughs> he'll throw a towel on. He described an Antonio Brown situation, right? He? Throw a towel, he'll put a washcloth over his junk, and he'll and hang it, it there. Of course, he will spanking himself. <laughs> and he described it's game day, and he'll put a towel on or maybe shorts or something, and he'll start doing that dance in the middle Zeke of the locker Prescott. And he said, so you can see his value on and off the field. Yeah. Like, that is awesome. It's almost like justification for giving him the contract. <laughs> hey, everyone. But, you know, I know you guys are all doubting him, but he also well, does this dance, and that's $90 million. We're taking some clients down there, and they're going to go watch that dance. Gonna... <laughs> you guys remember the uh, – I don't know. KT and Shippy might not be aware of this, but when, when Jerry first bought the team, he got into a lot of hot water for things that he were saying that even in the 80s was politically incorrect. And one of the ones that really stands out was his early description of Troy when he said, boy, he sure does look good in the shower. <laughs> that came out of his mouth. Spanking himself. Hold on. <laughs> that was a different <laughs> Sir, Shippy. that was out of context. Shippy. Shippy. Sir. I kind of like ball and goats. All right, coming up next, we will talk to the uh, G-Bag Nation, find out what they have coming up on their show, and maybe they have a solution for the nickname of Pollard and Zico. We'll do all that next on 105.3 The Fan. All right, it's the Ben and Skin Show, 105.3 The Fan. Thanks for rolling with us today and joining us now in studio. It's our buddies, the G-Bag Nation. We have Kavanaugh, we have Bassick, and the general, Gavin Dawson. How we doing, Gavin? Fantastic. How are you, man? Doing great. Uh, things are good, and I think they're going to be good, I'm going to say, even after this weekend. I think, like, the people that are hesitant for whatever reason to to be fully on board with the Cowboys. It's understandable. Those are three bad teams they've played, but I don't care. Even without Drew Brees beating the Saints in New Orleans, that'll be a high-quality win if the Cowboys can pull that bad boy off. And I don't think it's going to be easy. Nope. You know, I, I think it's going to be a, a, a close game. That That's a nice defense. Held the Cowboys to 13 points last year. That was at AT&T Stadium. This course went down there. You get that crowd noise involved. Uh, I think they're really going to have to earn it. And I'm really looking forward to an opportunity to see this team against a good defense to see if they can go out there and put up, you know, 28 or 31 points. Everybody's uh, talking about Aaron Rodgers right now, and they haven't scored 20. And, you know, they're 3-0, and but their offense looks stagnant. Well, they've faced incredible pass rushers. You know, the, the Cowboys, after three games, are like, whoa, this is great, man. We can do it all. So now we'll, we'll go up against Cam Jordan and the Saints and some guys that can cover and see if the Cowboys can keep executing. Can't wait. And the thing that worries me about the Saints is Kamara. He's such a unique weapon. He's so freaking good. And right now, if you do have a concern, I guess it would be maybe you'd be concerned with the Cowboys' uh, defensive tackle depth and maybe the play of their linebackers and – I mean, the linebackers are going to be – they're going to have their hands full if they're the ones who are supposed to stop Kamara. I mean, Unless he is your secret weapon. Right. They did it last year. Jordan Lewis. Bring in the secret weapon. Yeah. Third down, Jordan Lewis goes and follows him. It's great. It's like old school – it's like college stuff, you know? Like a rover assignment. Yeah, when guy. the quarterback's too good of an athlete, it's like, mm-hmm. all right, guys, listen, you 10 are playing defense, you're spying him. You get to third down, you say, hey, Jordan, he's yours. 
You 10, play defense. Is it, that guy's yours. That's kind of interesting, too, because I'm assuming that's a Richard concoction or an idea since he was the pa- the defensive passing game coordinator. Suddenly he gets tall enough for the ride <laughs> right, right, when it's right. third and eight and yeah. Alvin Kamara's on the field. Hey, you were here the whole time. This is great. <laughs> Worked out awesome. Um all right, so I heard you guys yesterday talking about uh, the Jalen stuff. Oh no! Which, well, I'm, I'm very a lot of hating going on. Well, I understand. Um, <laughs> there was, but there were some really interesting numbers that I saw earlier today. Albert Breer, uh, actually, Todd Archer started, and then Albert Breer weighed in. But that the Cowboys utilizing Jalen Smith a little bit more for passing situations, and we had talked about this on our show last week. The idea that. Man, without getting pressure on the quarterback, I feel like, all right, Jalen, you got to stop the run on first and maybe second, and then you're going to have to be rushing on third. So they're playing Joe Thomas more to rest Jalen more so he can rush the passer more in some of these things. But this is, uh, as I look at this team and like what we've talked about early on, I do think that this defense can get significantly better. And I think one of the ways that it will get better is playmaking from their linebackers. Yeah. But in listening to y'all's show yesterday, is it, I almost get the sense that y'all are concerned that Jalen can't be a playmaking linebacker for this. Well, game. I think he can. He was last year. Yeah, I mean, you know, is he hurt? I, I think that's the first thing you want to get down to the to the bottom of because he just got paid. He's he should be in the prime of his career, especially at that position. If you're taking him off the field, it's a sign of something happening. Mm-hmm. Do, would you buy into the idea that he, they're just getting him more rest so that they can he, utilize? He was him hurt. He was hurt in training camp. Remember that? Right. There's, there's a story out there, and you know that was that that was that knee that was swollen, mm-hmm. and it looks like the knee is you know, uh, preventing him from changing directions maybe as well as he did last year or hitting top speed or, you know, running without limping. It, it, it looks like that knee is bothering him. So with the history of that knee, it, it it's obviously, uh, I think, a, an elevated concern. If it's any other guy who's got a swollen knee, it's like, dude, three days off ibuprofen and ice, good. Yeah. But with, with Jalen Smith's history, it just makes you wonder, right? I, I think to your point, like people are always going to look at a Porzingis knee, right? Yeah. You're always, anytime he's having any problems, you're, you're going to have that, oh, my God, mm-hmm. because it's a, such a significant injury. Jeffrey, do you agree that the defense can get significantly better and one of the ways it will happen will be coming from that linebacker group? Or what, what does this defense do to get better? Uh, I think you get a more consistent pass rush. I think the, like, if you want to start on the encouraging side of it, I thought Robert Quinn in the first half, you could see it coming. Like, he was, he was winning. Mm-hmm. He's, he's winning – Pretty much strictly with speed outside, but he was winning. He was getting close, and you knew there was a sack coming, and he ended up getting it. And then Tank gets one, and like they, they, it's tough because they got three guys, and maybe that's better than league average. But on that defensive line, Malik Collins can be disruptive. Tank will always be disruptive, and now Robert Quinn is showing you he can be disruptive a little bit. And they're going to have to get a consistent pass rush, which the first two weeks they didn't. The third week in the first half they were hinting at it, and then they started getting home. Uh, the linebacker play is the interesting one because I noticed it when I was rewatching the game that in the second quarter, two different drives, I'm like, they got three linebackers on the field and Jalen's not one of them. Mm-hmm. What in the world's going on? I don't know. It's, I feel like I need to ask people out there. Maybe we'll ask Broadus today at 420 because Jalen's strength is run defense. Right. And, that, and those are the situations they were taking him out of. Like his coverage is not his strength. His strength is either – playing the run, getting sideline to sideline, or meeting a guy in the hole and trying to destroy his life, <laughs> and then <laughs> rushing the pass or something. That's his strength. So if you're pulling him out on rundowns, I don't know what's up. That's here's weird. What, here's what will be interesting for me to see, and I know it's Teddy Bridgewater and not Drew Brees, but then you do get Aaron Rodgers as long as he stays healthy for Thursday night football. And I'll use the analogy of baseball. If I walk two guys every inning, but I get out of it with no runs, 
but I did it against the Baltimore Orioles and Detroit Tigers and the Miami Marlins. Am I a good pitcher because I'm getting out of those situations? Or am I just kind of lucky because I'm facing a lineup and a team that can't take advantage of my mistakes? So I look at the Cowboys, and they're allowing teams to get to the red zone right now. But then the team fumbles the ball. The team can't push the ball into the end zone, so they uh, hold them to a field goal. Can we be that? Can we keep walking two guys an inning and keep a zero on the board? Baseball analogy, because what the Cowboys are doing defensively is they're allowing a team to drive the field quite a bit of the time, and then they hold them uh, inside the twenty-yard line to a field goal, or they go for it on fourth down and they don't get it. And now you're going to be facing, I think, teams that can take advantage if you make mistakes on defense. That says, okay, first and ten on the fifteen-yard line. We're going to punch it in and see if you guys can handle this. Well, you know, I like the baseball analogy because when we had J.D. on a couple weeks ago and talking about specifically Rugi, for example, they look at at-bats or they look at pitchers at what they're doing against the highest level of competition, yeah. right? Kind of exactly what you're talking about. I think what's interesting is early on this defense has been underwhelming. I'm confident it'll be better, but let's say it doesn't. So then that puts added pressure on that offense to continue to be brilliant. So can the Cowboys win if their defense is just average? Do you guys feel like this offense now? Hell, I'll ask you, Ben. Do you feel like this offense now is at the place where they can keep up with anybody else offensively? Absolutely. I don't I don't see a weakness. Um, I like the receivers, like the tight ends, love the offensive line, love both running backs. The quarterback's fantastic, playing at an elite level. The coordinator is brilliant. I mean, as all we have to see now is, okay, can Kellen Moore adjust to the adjustments? When the league adjusts to him, can he keep adjusting? And I think he'll be able to. I don't see any weakness on this offense as long as they don't sustain massive injuries. Hell, they they didn't miss Michael Gallup yet. Uh, hopefully they don't. Hopefully they get him back before they miss him too badly. But I, this offense can score a ton of points. I don't think the defense is going to be average. I think they'll be a little bit better than average. Mm-hmm. But – if this offense has to be in shootouts, absolutely. They've scored four fewer points than the Chiefs. Right. That has been pretty crazy. I I, I think they can, uh, but I would not bet on them to do it three times in a row. And the goal is the Super Bowl. Uh, it's, it's no coincidence that most Super Bowl winners have a top 10 defense, mm-hmm. uh, whether it's the last Peyton Manning Super Bowl with the Broncos or what the Giants did or what the Patriots usually do, what the Eagles did in 2017. You might lay a stinker against a good team, especially a good defensive team in the playoffs. And your defense has to be able to go out there and possibly hold quality teams under 20 points on any given Sunday in January. And if they're incapable of doing that, then the probability that you go home before the Super Bowl increases significantly. I can't wait for the tone of our conversation two weeks from today because New England, or I'm sorry, New Orleans is a really good defense, and Green Bay early on has shown that they are a badass defense. I think the wild card with Super Bowls, and it can get any one game can get wonky, right? You yep. can score 50, you can score three. It's one football game. But I think the wild card there and why, generally speaking, like usually you're going to have two good offenses in the Super Bowl. Because offense is the most important thing. Scoring points is the most important thing. But when you get to the playoffs and you're whittling it down, now there's eight teams left and seven of them have a good offense. Well, what could tilt the balance is can I play defense and you can't? Because mm-hmm. now we get a shot here. But to me, the wild card is that it's two weeks to prepare. Like last year's Super Bowl, yeah. Wade Phillips shut the Patriots down. Mm-hmm. He shut them down. Right. And Bill Belichick shut the Rams down. So and then you, you had the end game adjustments is what right. won it for the Patriots and, doing stuff they hadn't done. And so if you have those multiple weeks, because I mean, right before then the Patriots and the Chiefs are just going pew, 
pew, right. pew, because you don't really have those full two weeks where you can just you have time to do everything. And what kind of adjustment is offense going to make? Because mm-hmm. I don't know what you're going to do to me. I just know what works for me. So defenses get the advantage in that spot. So I think the good news is I'll worry about that when it's Super Bowl time. So we'll get to the Super Bowl, and then we'll see where the defense is. The good news is that we have lots of good Cowboy talk over the next several months. General, what do you guys have on the show today? Pure gold, as always. Scan, thanks so much for asking. We'll talk more about the offense coming up at 220 points per game through three games at 32.3. Where do you guys think it'll be at the end of the year? What'll be their point per game? Um, Give me, uh, I don't know what league averages are, but give me 29.2. That Ooh, would be delicious. I like that. Give, put me down at uh, 26. Okay. All right. All right. A little fall off happening there. And then we have the Rangers player show at 520. Lance Lynn is going to join us, talk about his 15 wins and his strikeouts and all that. All awesome. Right. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.